0: Welcome to the Reinventing Education Podcast. This is a podcast for anybody interested in reinventing or at least reorienting what education is all about. I'm Rob McLeod, as always, joined by the octopus-hooded, sweatshirted Brendan O'Leary. How are you, Brendan?
1: I'm fine, Rob. I'm glad you noticed my psychedelic outfit. How
0: are you today? I'm all right, man. So today, we're going to be talking about mainstream schools... If you're new to us, we're kind of using the idea that there are essentially three types of school, traditional schools, mainstream schools, and progressive schools, and the mainstream school, this is essentially pretty much any school in the Western and largely Eastern world as well. Um, These are schools that put emphasis on student achievement, um, meeting curricular objectives, clear, transparent, fair assessments, and typically put a fair bit of weight behind standardized testing. And if you've been following our show, we've been going through the traditional school and looking at it in depth, and right now we're looking at the mainstream school in depth. If you are new to us, as always, we suggest you go back to our 50th episode titled Start Here 2.0, um, and there we kind of lay out this map of what those three different schools look like and, and what they're up to. So today, O'Leary, it's teacher collaborative planning and i feel for a lot of these topics in the mainstream school a lot of people listening to this might just be like well this doesn't sound revolutionary this just seems like the way it is in most schools do you want to chime in about that before we look at the nuts and bolts of teacher collaborative planning
1: yeah sure we talk a lot about our the culture that we uh exist in being kind of the water we swim in, we don't always notice that it's around us. So, you know, we're going to talk today about how planning happens, but planning for a teacher, especially in this way, wasn't always a given. In traditional schools, of course, teachers thought about their lessons and they had an idea of what they would teach day in, day out, but they wouldn't necessarily think about some of the things and write down some of the things that will discussed today, especially things such as differentiating for different levels of learners and taking into account special educational needs, assessing pre-assessment and and all of those things. Likewise, in a more progressive leaning system, we'll talk about this in in, in upcoming seasons, they might plan in a very different way that is more connected to the Um, individual needs of students, or they might have a much more flexible idea on how planning happens. So if you are a teacher, you might hear a lot of this and think, this is just how it works. And it is in most cases, but it's not the only way it has to be and can be. And as with every aspect of education that we've talked about so far, the traditional school and the progressive school has... Many things to offer, as does the mainstream. So, today we're going to look at planning, collaborative and otherwise, talk about what it is in a mainstream school, and then look at some of the babies, some of the things we want to keep hold of as we move into other types of schooling, and some of the things that may not be quite as positive, that maybe we've lost from a traditional system, or that we might want to adapt as some schools move into a more progressive-minded system. So, Rob, you want to give us a little bit of an idea about what planning might be in a mainstream school? So when we're discussing planning here, like essentially we're
0: talking on multiple levels. We're talking about individual lesson planning. We're talking about maybe a week plan and also likely talking about a unit plan. So the idea that maybe you have a pre-assessment at the start of a unit to let you know what students already know What are your aims for pushing students along in terms of their learning? What might the end of unit goals be? And already that's quite significantly different than the traditional approach, which is kind of like, now we're doing this unit and here's what I, as the teacher, have decided that we will be doing over the next month or several weeks or or a week. So planning becomes really key in mainstream schools because we're looking to maximize opportunity for students. And there's this idea that if we plan effectively, if we plan efficiently, we can get better outcomes. We can increase student achievement, which in turn supports this idea of opportunity for our students into the future. And there are many pieces to organize and navigate and and harmonize here. There's much more emphasis on a curriculum. So, in a mainstream team or a mainstream teacher sitting down to plan, in theory, it should always start with the curriculum. I remember in teacher's college, a former principal coming in to talk to us, and we were asking about common questions that we might get asked in our first job interviews. And he threw a few out, and it was great because he let us share some answers we might give, and he waited till we were all finished. And then he said, none of you would have got the job because not one of you mentioned the word curriculum in your answers in terms of your planning. And that really stuck out to me as that mainstream beacon that Everything starts with a curriculum first and then anything else takes a backseat
1: or a is singing second cello to that one. Uh, it might be worth it might be worth clearing up a little bit this idea of what a curriculum is for people who aren't necessarily teachers because one of the discussions we have a lot with parents for sure is they'll say, well have you, you've got a new curriculum where I can see how you're, you're, you're using the curriculum in reality, you know, like a computer programmer doesn't necessarily go right down into the binary when they're they're coding, you know, there's coding languages. And in many cases, they don't even go down that level. There's kind of like things built on top of the absolute core. The curriculum documents way down there in the core. So it may be that even in a mainstream school, you don't necessarily refer directly to the curriculum every day, but it's right there and it, more or less dictates everything that is taught and everything that's assessed. But often we'll build unit plans on top of that. We'll build um we'll build lessons using other sources and resources. So I think it's important that if you're having a discussion maybe as a parent uh, or as a student with a teacher that curriculum is really just thing that informs what you're doing in your class and what you assess. It can be endlessly adapted and this is one of the things that the mainstream school Although it does rest heavily on planning and being organized, organizing all the components in advance, it also wants teachers to adapt and put a new spin on all of these things. So really you have to look at every element of it. So the syllabus or the scope and sequences also, what order do we, do we teach these in? And maybe what are some of the teaching strategies employed? So curriculum is just one part of that equation, and it's actually the really dull list of uh, ob- core objectives that uh, not many people enjoy getting down and dirty with in reading. You and I do from time to time, Rob, don't we?
0: Well, it is that dry kind of generic list if I'm trying to make an analogy on my mind, it's just like, it's the drum kit and bass guitar in the corner of the room. And then it's like up to you as teachers every year and every decade to reimagine how that's going to be used for brand new music. So you've got 80s music and 90s music and, and that horrid early 2000s music, that kind of a thing. And so, yeah, we've got the curriculum, which to oversimplify it is a list of here's, it's your to-do list. Here are things that have to be done in the air. But then you organize those maybe into a syllabus of, well, September and October, we do these things. In November and December, we'll do these things from the list, et cetera. And then even within that, you break it down to units of, okay, here are our core learning objectives. Here's how we'll see what students know at the start. Here's how we'll scaffold them along the way. And here's some of our learning goals by the end of it. Here are some assessments, activities that we'll do, et cetera. And all of these things are the teacher collaborative planning. These are the things that you need to sort out and map out. Now, some schools they may have what we did last year and that's passed on to you as like a, a guide and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. But at the same time, you can also reinvent the wheel and tinker and tweak things and to see if you can find a more effective or more efficient way to approach
1: any of the units. That's up to you. Because I I think, again, within the mainstream, with, we we're saying that opportunity is at its core. And one thing that Mainstream schools free up is strategies both for teachers and for students. Maybe we're teaching many of the same objectives as we're taught traditionally. Maybe we're still teaching uh, some spelling rules or some particular area of composition or mathematical concept, but the strategies employed are now wide open because we moved into this idea of teacher almost as a coach and any strategy that a coach can use to give their athlete, their student an advantage is a game. And uh, this is why the internet is such a, a brilliant resource because coaches are not selfish. Coaches make these new ideas, teachers make these wonderful new ideas and many teachers... They're very happy to put them up on the internet. Teachers Pay Teachers is a great site where you can buy activities and uh, and find a new spin on things. And we talked about Pinterest. It's a great source for activities to put a new spin on something. And so the mainstream opportunity value embraces that. It doesn't just go back to, we've always taught this subject in this way. It really starts to begin to, to look at Strategies for more efficient teaching, more effective teaching, and a little bit into the specific needs of the students that might match well with those strategies.
0: And so, when would
1: this planning
0: be done? Well, likely a lot of it still is on your own. And that might look similar to the traditional approach to planning, where a teacher has a fair bit of discretion as the head of the class to decide what they will be doing in their class or in their subject area. However, you're going to see more collaborative planning begin to show up in the mainstream approach to school, especially if the school is larger. If you've got four or five grade three teachers, it's more likely they're going to have some time in the week or the month to at least compare ideas, compare assessments and make sure that things are more similar to each other than they are different, but certainly still allowing for each teacher's personality to come through in some way in their own classroom. However, when it comes to like bigger picture things, like an overview of the year, for example, um, or school-wide goals in terms of planning, there will be often some time either built into a week, built into a month, maybe perhaps it's just one day in a term where teams can sit together and actually look over some of that big picture stuff together.
1: Yeah, and as we move more into the progressive school, you you will see, we will see more collaborative planning on more of a, a maybe a micro or granular level where people are sharing individual activities and, and mixing classes a little more. You'll see a little bit of this in the mainstream, but because of the nature of things like standardized testing and what we call a content coverage model where you have a specific... A set of criteria from the curriculum that you need to cover or address um, it kind of means that you're locked into a particular set of objectives and uh, it cuts down on some of those opportunities for collaborating with other year groups with other teachers but it does come in as you said Rob, on a, maybe on a larger level where you plan whole units together or maybe theme days and things like that one thing that that it is really true for every single person who becomes a, a new teacher in whatever form of school is that planning your lessons and thinking about what you're going to do is going to take up a huge amount of time and so there's a really steep learning curve for new teachers who are working in mainstream schools and we've both been through this i remember you know i remember spending several hours on individual lessons at one point you know and uh, that's obviously, you know, we do get some planning time. I think like two two hours planning time. Our head was really generous, actually. we He worked it out so you got more or less a full day every two weeks. It worked out about two and a half hours of planning time. But you're teaching, what, 15 hours a week or something like that. So it's like if you're spending an hour to two hours planning individual lessons, that's a lot of your weekends and evening's gone. As I just dropped on, I look for some sites that were giving tips to new teachers and some of the some of the tips that are good for effective mainstream efficient planning. Uh, keep all your lesson plans in a binder, in digital or, or in, in the old days on paper. Uh, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. The internet is the greatest teaching resource ever, and I agree with that one. Uh, work in a distraction-free environment. Um, be prepared You know, weeks in advance, if you can, you know, plan ahead. Um, All of these are pretty good, pretty good strategies for everybody, but they apply very strongly to a mainstream ethos that is all about organization, efficiency, and effective strategies. There is a
0: real learning curve for a new teacher to sort out how to be able to do this. So there is some reliance, for sure, on the internet, Needing to reinvent the wheel, you can certainly get pre built units. However, one of the new skills that comes on in line in the mainstream school is this idea of being an engineer that you actually have the capability of not just leaning and relying on a resource or a textbook to help you plan your units, but that you might actually be able to engineer and soup up a unit like you might a car to be more effective and to be more efficient. And that you as the engineer, as the planner, might actually be able to come up with a better assessment tool, a better test, a better activity than what your resource or textbook is providing you with. And this is where some of those teacher competencies, this is where some of those teacher skills can really come in and and shine. And this is why you do see some reinventing of the wheel. This is where you see innovation, where you see teachers trying to engineer units, engineer activities, engineer assessments engineer assessment tools in order to be more effective than what's already out there on the market, if you will. And the collaboration becomes about drawing into the intelligence of a group and engineering a unit together and relying on the strengths, skills, competencies, or merit, if you will, of each other to create the most effective and efficient unit out there. And when doing so, it's not necessarily that you abandon textbooks, but now a textbook is a resource. You might not be working through every page in it and trying to complete a, a workbook by the end of the year, but rather a textbook's there just as one of many tools that you could use. And we're utilizing many different sources in a mainstream school, whereas in a traditional school, you know, it's possible in a subject that the only text a student might see all year is their textbook. Whereas in mainstream, you're drawing from many different sources. And why are you doing this? Well, partly for effectiveness, that maybe there's more possibilities or better learning that could happen with a wider range of resources, but also for the sake of differentiation. The idea that your textbook is the same level that's necessary for all students isn't necessarily true, and in a mainstream school, you might look at, commonly, three different ability-level groupings in your class, sort of an on-track, a little bit below-track, and an above-track group, and perhaps the textbook's only really relevant for maybe one of those three groups, and you're gathering from different resources to better meet the learning needs of the other students. So there is a real sense of increased complexity here. A teacher no longer is just carrying out their duty of delivering a unit. It is an option now in the mainstream school that teachers teacher is actually involved in the engineering of the unit.
1: Uh, you know, if you listen to this and saying, well, you know, nonsense, when I was a kid, teachers were creative and they inspired me and things like that. Absolutely. I mean, teachers have always been creative and always been inspiring in some mode, some teachers. There's the the point being, this is more to do with the entire mainstream system. This is every single school up and down the country is building these similar ideas into the culture of how we plan, how we put units together and lessons together and what a teacher should be. The the idea of what goes into your planning has now higher levels of complexity, the expectation. So some of the things, and again, I, I got this from a site, um, from the Scholastic site, the educational publisher written by Bonnie Murray, Bonnie Murray, and it's about a new teacher guide to planning. And it, it talks about some of the aspects that Maybe in traditional schools would not have been considered quite as much inside a, a new teacher planning um, document. The academic and social and emotional needs of students of the of your group of students, you might begin to take that into account when you're thinking about how you take that curriculum objective and turn it into an interesting lesson. and that's kind of that that's tough to do when you're a new teacher. you're sitting there often in a quiet, empty room <laughs> with the whole school running around around you and you've got two hours to plan six, ten, twelve lessons or whatever. You've got folders open and books open, the internet open, and you're thinking like, how can I turn this dry curriculum objective about maybe the length of rivers or whatever, or a particular population center, how can I turn that into an interesting activity that will meet the academic needs of my kids, but also their kind of tap into their social and emotional kind of needs or interests. What are some of the strategies that I'm going to use to take that objective and make it fit for my students? How am I going to group the students? Am I going to have the kids work individually in small groups uh, as a a whole group activity? Are the groups going to change? Are they going to be grouped by friendship groups, ability level groups? Am I going to deliberately uh, match up higher level and lower level students so they can help each other? Um, My timings, when am I going to teach this lesson in the unit? If I'm going to do eight lessons, when am I going to teach this particular lesson? What do I need to do in terms of pre-assessment or pre-teaching in the lesson before this to make sure that my kids are ready for it? Um, and overall, the sequence of my units, how am I going to build them together so they come together at the end and the kids are ready to um, do their, their, usually a larger assessment, whether that's a project or a test or or the likes what materials am I going to use? What physical materials and what digital materials do I have access to videos? Do I have access to particular hands-on uh, resources that I might use, textbooks or um, the knowledge of experts in the, in the community? What would success look like? You know, there's a very key point of do I have a clear objective and uh, do I knew, do I know what it would mean to be successful in this lesson for every kid? And uh, am I reflecting on that at the end of the lesson so that the next lesson or the next unit addresses some of those issues, some of, some of the places where maybe I wasn't successful? These are just some of the things that teachers having to think about when they're putting a lesson together. I mean, it blows your mind when you think of the potential complexities of taking that students can multiply two-digit numbers and somehow turning that into an engaging, differentiated lesson. Um, But teachers do it up and down the country all day, every, you know, every single day in mainstream schools, teachers are taking those uh, objectives and turning them into fantastic, inspiring lessons.
0: And one additional piece here for the mainstream school is you might have the oversight of someone actually checking your planning. Now, this is not to say that in a traditional school, you'd never have anyone look over your books. It certainly might be there. But the fact is that at a mainstream school, the head of school is actually invested and interested in checking up on what you are doing and possibly connecting like those seven or eight criteria you just mentioned, you know, people's timing, the sequence, the materials, all these sorts of things, and providing feedback to staff about how they may possibly more effectively or more efficiently deliver those curriculum objectives as well. And certainly when times are good, It might be just a casual check-in to to know what's going on in a classroom. But if those student score numbers are down or something like that, this can become a place of data and uh, information for the head of school to be able to see what possibly could be tweaked within a teacher's classroom and in terms of their planning specifically as well, leading into all of this. So with every episode, we try to look at the approach that this kind of school is taking to this so here we've been looking at the mainstream schools approach to teacher planning and now is our time where we try to tease apart some of the babies the stuff that we want to keep and the bathwater, some of the stuff that we may want to leave behind as we consider reinventing or reorienting our schools um, and trying to make sure that we don't lose some of these good parts about the mainstream school as we move forward so Brendan, out of all these things we've discussed, what are some of the babies, some of the good things that we like about what the mainstream school approach is bringing to teacher collaborative planning?
1: Well, if you've listened to a few of these episodes on mainstream schools, you'll hear the same ideas coming back. What what we really like and what we think is a baby of the mainstream educational system is that the objectives and aims are clear and transparent, and they're based on taking the next step towards a goal. So there's a, we're, what we're doing in the mainstream school that maybe didn't appear quite as much in traditional schools is we're looking at individual students or groups of students and saying, here is a learning objective that is designed to take you from where you're at right now in a specific skill or piece of knowledge, area of knowledge to take you to the next step. And we've talked about Vygotsky a few times and this idea of the zone of proximal development. I'm going to design a learning experience for you that's going to test you just enough. It's going to, it's not going to demoralize you by crushing you with this this challenge that is beyond you, nor is it going to be too easy. I'm going to do my best to differentiate so that this activity challenges you and moves you to the next step. And that's, that's, that, for that to be explicit is quite, it, that is an idea that's only come around with the mainstream opportunity value. The other big idea is this idea that we're connecting sometimes disparate ideas around a theme together. So, for example, they, they may do it, you may see a unit on uh, the Roman Empire. In Britain, it's very common, and obviously the uh, Roman occupation of Britain, two thousand years ago, and so this this is something that most primary school students will study, and they'll study several aspects of this particular area that have been designed by a teacher to come together, so that over the course of six to eight weeks, it gives a, an overview or a rounded idea of this this big historical concept. So again, that kind of like planned, um, the kind of planned series of lessons and units is again another big bonus of the mainstream opportunity value. And so if we switch over to some of
0: the bathwater or some of the drawbacks that we see of this mainstream approach to planning well one of them is that you can sometimes create your own prison here by creating like a locked in plan because you're planning so far in advance sometimes weeks even months even possibly semesters ahead of time Um, that you can't actually utilize some of the wants and needs that are actually coming up of students in real time. Now, of course, you still have some agency in this. And of course, you'll hear teachers often talk about, you know, oh, there was a learning moment or a learning opportunity where we stopped everything we were doing because this kid said this thing. And of course, there are those moments. But you can't have too many of those moments if you've got this very structured, locked in plan and set dates and set aims and Tests that have been pre mapped out and all this sort of stuff. So it does create less flexibility, perhaps, to kind of roll with what's actually arising in your room. And especially, you know, you sat down and planned and considered your students' interests, perhaps, but we're not necessarily the greatest barometers of this. And you bring something to the class and it flops and you go, oh crap, I planned another two weeks of this and it's not going the way that I thought despite my best of intentions. um, A lot of that planning might go out the window and uh, well, it's your choice. Either stay with the sinking ship or abandon it and then have to create something entirely new to to invest your time into. Um, Potentially, we're also not taking full advantage of collaboration with staff. Typically, in a mainstream school, you're going to see more collaboration than you would have in a traditional school, but still a lot of this is happening in isolation. And again, this is two sides of the same coin. There's certainly advantages to teachers having some agency and some say in what goes on in their room, but at the same time, there can still be a lot of isolation and teachers planning a lot of the nuts and bolts of this individually in their own room and maybe not gaining from some of the expertise merits experiences of others around them so what might sort of the traditional or the progressive school critiques be brennan when looking at this mainstream approach to planning
1: well it could be that a teacher who's used to a more traditional system of planning where maybe it's based heavily on a textbook and there may not have the levels of complexity beyond deciding which area of the textbook you're going to teach on a particular day or on the other side, a, a teacher from a progressive school where there's been lots and lots of in-the-moment freedom to take advantage of what students are um, saying and, and doing because you're not as locked into those curriculum content um, objectives, the, the teachers can feel that this planning is putting them in a little bit of a straitjacket. They could also begin to complain about the bureaucracy. You know, I have to write everything down. And there are some schools that will ask for page-long lesson plans, um, which take a long, long time to write. And as an experienced teacher, you generally don't need much more than the objective itself, maybe an idea of what you're going to do. You still obviously need to, to plan, but sometimes schools will ask for a lot of paperwork in the planning that isn't actually necessary for it. For a teacher who's been teaching five, six years, for example. And, uh, you know, when I first started teaching, there was websites called Save Our Sundays and, you know, things like the teachers pay teachers. Like You would buy activities and you can actually buy entire units, uh, unit plans. So when you get down to that kind of idea, that's not really much different to just opening up a textbook. Of course, it might be more interesting for the actual students, which is... Which is great, but if you're going to go on the internet and buy an entire, as I said, you know, the, the Roman Empire, if you're going to go and buy a 12 lesson pack off the internet that includes all the video links and all of the differentiated worksheets and basically all you have to do is roll it out to the students, that's not necessarily creative planning and that's that can feel like it, it can be very stifling for, for some teachers also. But it might be necessary if you're snowed under by schools that expect very bureaucratic paperwork. And um, so we get into a little bit of a abstraction where that what's written down on the paper doesn't necessarily match reality. It isn't actually necessary to do good teaching and learning. Similarly, although the units and the lessons do connect a little stronger... Than they may have done when they were completely individual lessons on certain subjects. Um, they, we still get a little bit of a of a pick and mix approach, where maybe you're studying, maybe you're studying a period of history, and you look at the homes and the food and the clothes they wore and you know events, and it's a very surface level and superficial set of connections and say. A teacher who might work in a more progressive-leaning inquiry-based school that works on a a bigger idea that maybe instead of saying, let's study the topic of Romans, but we might actually look at the bigger idea of how does migration from a particular group affect? And then you might focus on maybe an invasion such as the Roman invasion and how did that affect the people around them it's a similar kind of idea, but it's a little bit deeper and I think a, a teacher who'd been in a more progressive leaning inquiry school would feel that they'd maybe was a, le- a less rich unit if suddenly you went back to teaching 12 different you know superficially related points. Yeah, and
0: I heard a, so, I heard a great line just this week from a teacher who was talking about that who said, you know it's unfortunate and this often happens in both the traditional, and still the mainstream school, it's unfortunate that often topics or big ideas like migration might only be discussed in one subject area, not spread across multiple areas. Or if they are spread, maybe it's a very surface level. Like, oh, we're studying Roman invasion, and this week in math, we're, we're counting Roman soldiers. And it's like, well, why not just count green dots or or purple garbage men, for that matter, if it's just the counting? But this teacher had the great line where she said, I tell my students that you need to be the octopus. You need to have your eight limbs stretched out and across all the subjects and be gathering and bringing them back and synthesizing that information. But then she was also talking about, of course, it's important for the school to be doing that as well, that the school's planning should also be acting as an octopus that makes it possible for students to see those connections and to synthesize those big ideas across history, across philosophy, literature, math, engineering, physics, all these sorts of things together. And there is a real sliding scale in the mainstream school of how well that is done. We can see it done very well, but in mainstream schools we can certainly, like you say, see it just done on that surface level where those deeper, bigger picture ideas are not coming forth towards the kids.
1: And I think when you, you start to look at the meaningful connections between individual subjects and curriculum objectives, you might see this in events, science furs, you might have week weeks of uh, project days. Uh, in, and in early years, you see this a lot in play-based learning. But like you're hinting here, it's, it's more of an exception than the day-to-day. So if you went in and watched 20 lessons or 50 days in a school, you're much more likely to see those somewhat superficially connected objectives building together to a you know a a project that might be a little bit mix and match so they might still make a poster but it'll be 10 different things on that poster whereas there are obviously within mainstream schools great cross-curricular units and, and activities and the mainstream schools actually if it begins to move away from being locked into specific standardized testing and specific content coverage, it's all there. The, the parts are absolutely there that the creative teachers can engineer those units entirely within this opportunity value system, still being transparent, still uh, uh, assessing what really happens, still supporting individual students. And we've talked about this a few times that actually built into the system itself there's just this reticence of like well you know we've got to measure these things and so what's the most effective way to measure we'll put it into a standardized test but now we can't do these wonderful creative cross-curricular units because we have to make sure we get good scores on this test so it's almost as if the mainstream schools doing some of these things to itself and maybe as it Grows and it matures over the next 30 to 50 years. Who knows how much more it will move into these areas?
0: And the final point we wanted to address was sort of the worst case scenario, at least on the staff level, as far as the planning goes. In the mainstream school, there is competition, and competition between staff can certainly be healthy. It can certainly push people to bring out their best sides. It can certainly ensure that the cream rises to the top and those with the most merit are recognized for their merit and possibly moved into a next level of position that's an even you know better fit or they can contribute in that way. But of course, competition can have a dark side. And although we haven't seen much of this, I think everyone in some school has some sort of variation of this where possibly the planning that's going on in the school is a place for some staff members to try to make other teachers look worse in their planning, while at the same time trying to make themselves look much better. And that can be done on a sliding scale of maybe just subtle little things to just stick your neck out that extra inch ahead. Or it can go completely nefarious and you can have poisoned and toxic, toxic uh, school cultures, You know, especially when the stakes are high. When your job is tied to student test scores, when you know your district is shrinking the number of teachers each year and you're really just trying to hold on to your position, whatever it is, at its worst, there can be some of this competition going on in the background and the planning is one of those spaces in the mainstream school, especially if your head has eyes on what you're doing every week, where you might just be trying to push yourself ahead and unfortunately at the same time, at its worst, push someone down Um, through some nefarious means.
1: That was a deeper dive than we expected, I think. Um, An interesting area that doesn't get a light shone in it very much. And I think for me, the magic or the alchemy of that creative teacher who takes the dry curriculum objective and turns it into some wonderful, engaging, challenging and differentiated lesson that's something to be celebrated in the mainstream school if only you and i could aspire to do that here on the podcast of taking these dry concepts and turn them into alchemical gold that would be delightful don't don't get don't get carried away mac (laughs) so let's just give them the facts all right where are we where are we coming at in the next episode.
0: All right. So we've looked at teacher collaborative planning in the mainstream school. In our next episode, in our next few episodes, we'll be diving into some different areas and we'll begin to look at some of the staff meetings. So how do staff, staffs in mainstream schools come together and meet? What do they discuss? How is that time used? And then eventually leading into other components of the school day, looking at before and after school care, basically the time before and after the quote-unquote teaching or schooling is happening. So yeah, up next, staff meetings, what's on the agenda, what's that time being used for, what is it not being used for, etc.
1: Well, thank you very much, Robert. I hope you have a good day.
0: Thanks, Brendan. Yeah, my hope too is, as we're going through all of these minutiae, these details of each of the schools, that sometimes the worlds that we're in, it's just like the water we're swimming in, and hopefully the more and more we're pointing out the specifics of, especially in this mainstream school, what probably makes up most teachers' days, most teachers' months, most teachers' years. Hearing it pointed out clearly that this is what we're up to, hopefully points out that this is just one of the ways school can be approached. And even if we've just described to a T your life as a teacher, hopefully we're helping you see that this is just one iteration of at least three the traditional, the mainstream, and the progressive approaches to education. And in our next season, we'll begin to look at the progressive school and we'll see how planning actually looks dramatically different than what we've described here today. So again, thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Rob.